Hello and welcome to another season of Cracking Cryptids and Curios. This is Matt, once again joined by Angel, and wow, it feels good to say that again. Now Angel, we have been gone for several weeks longer than I originally anticipated. A whole lot has happened since the end of Season 3. Some of those things have even impacted us starting on Season 4. For instance, I moved to a completely different town, but you, Angel... You delved into a whole new world, and I think it could be the greatest thing I have ever seen. Do you know exactly what I'm talking about? I think I do. You think but, I do? But, you know, I'll just let you say it. You recently joined a group, and I wouldn't necessarily call it a cult. Some people may call it that, but I won't. So this group, you all get together and put on shows that involve one of your favorite pastimes. That of improv comedy. Now, I recently saw one of these shows, and it was the most mind-blowing experience I have had in years. Your troupe, as they say, is known as the Milk Chuggers. When the show, when the show starts, the crowd starts chanting, Chug, 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 chug. And all of you come out with gallon, with gallon. You all come out with gallon milk <laughs> That's so funny. You all come out with gallon milk jugs. You, you know what my favorite part of the show is, Angel? What's that? You do. You do the entire show in character, not as yourself as a comedian. You act like you are the infamous horror icon actor Vincent Price. So each scene you do, it's like it's actually Vincent Price doing improv. You even cut down your mustache so it's really thin like his. What made you take this approach? What the mustache thing, or just the, or the just whole thing in the Vincent Price? The whole yeah, Vincent Price. Like why specifically, like Vincent Price doing improv comedy? Well, see what happened was, with my troupe, we were out. You know, we were buddies before we started doing this. We were just regular friends hanging out, and we'd always hang out in the local convenience stores. And we were like, you know what? We're pretty funny people. Why don't we just do improv and and my buddy Jace, you don't know him. My buddy Jace says, <laughs> says, but, but what would like? What do you mean? Like you can't just do improv. Like it's you gotta work at it. I'm like, no, no, it's fine. We just need a a good troop name and some sort of some sort of um, shtick, yeah, and, like a gimmick. Yeah. So so we're looking around and and I see the in the convenience store the the in the, in the fridge is there's milk, and, and we're like. And I'm like, hey, what if we're the milk chuggers? And they're like, what was that? I was like, milk chuggers? And I said, yeah, sure, whatever. And then they're like, okay. And then I'm like, look, look, this milk is expensive. Look at its price. And I said, price? <laughs> Wait a minute. Vincent Price. Uh-uh. And, and, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> One thing I did want to add is that at the end of your show, there is a, uh, a segment that occurs every single time. It's called Whose Turn Is It to Talk Now? A parody of Whose Line Is It Anyway, of course. The fan favorite portion is Scenes from a Milk Jug, where the audience submits various suggestions and the troupe has to develop a scene. Any highlights come to mind from the past several shows? The thing is, uh, the weird thing about those that, that little skit is that we always have to incorporate some sort of milk 
thing, right? So there was one scene that was suggested where it was me and and this other person. I can't remember which one. There's so many people in our troop. But we were supposed to act out like a romantic scene in the rain. But the rain was just milk. So we had the other guys just pouring milk on us from from, from the, the jugs. And it was... Uh, Pretty, and pretty Vincent gross. Price, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's Vincent Price. Um, I'd give you a little taste, but then I'd expect some money. So, <laughs> come pay, come pay tw- twenty bucks a ticket and see the show. And oh, <laughs> milk's not cheap down there. No, it's not. <laughs> well, I also forgot to mention. Unlike Who's Line, the points do matter to the milk chuggers, as whoever gets the least amount of points has to chug a gallon of milk and by the end of the show the milk jugs you came out with are pretty much room temperature too so was the chug your idea i mean yeah i'm i i knew this would happen because i am used to drinking room temperature milk so i knew i had a an advantage <laughs> you, have an, you have an affinity for that <laughs> I wouldn't say affinity. I don't want to talk about my situation, but let's just say I can handle room temperature should, milk. Should I say Vincent Price has an affinity for drinking room temperature milk? Yes, he does. And, uh, you know, so I knew I had an advantage in that situation. But it turns out drinking room temperature milk is not that challenging. But, you know, some people well, chug, just, they just, think it's, gallon. They just think it's gross. So. Uh-huh. How many times have you lost and had to do the chug? 13 times. <laughs> it's 13 gallons of room temperature milk. Not all at once. It's, it's all good. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I hope those weren't back-to-back shows. I don't want to talk about it. So with that, why don't we turn our attention to some insane stories that have been in the news. I have missed these, Angel. I'm I have been... intolerant. <laughs> Those are some explosive endings to those shows. <laughs> I have been completely off the grid when it comes to the insane stories that we typically talk about. Mm-hmm. There is a lot going on out there. The first one that caught my attention, though, coming from the country of Georgia, where uh, this is from oddityCentral.com. Lightning strike instantly kills 550 grazing sheep. So last season we uh, investigated the Champawat tiger, one of the most deadly man-killers of all time. A single strike of lightning, killing 550 sheep. It's no contest. I think, yeah, I think it beats the tiger. <laughs> so it goes on to say, Georgian media recently released disturbing footage of over 500 sheep killed by a single lightning strike while grazing on a mountain pasture in Ninostaminda, southern Georgia. According to news reports, on August 9th, Nikolai Levinov, a sheep owner from the village of Tambogvga, received a distressing phone call from his sheep herder telling him that over a hundred of his sheep had been killed in a thunderstorm. What Levinov didn't know was that along with his own flock, nearly 400 other sheep had been killed by the same lightning strike. Luckily, the sheep herder himself had only been knocked unconscious by the lightning and eventually recovered. Shocking video footage shot at the scene of the extremely rare phenomenon shows hundreds of sheep carcasses spread over a green pasture on Mount Abul, a popular sheep grazing area in southern Georgia. 
Levinov and the other sheep owners have appealed to Georgian authorities for financial assistance to mitigate their losses, but the official response was that the, that a scientific commission first had to establish the exact cause of the death of the sheep. To be honest, this is the first such case. We have not heard that a thunderstorm could kill so many sheep, the deputy mayor of Ninostminda, Alexander Mikkeldays, said. Of course, the mayor's office will provide support, but first... The farmer himself must bring the opinion of experts in order to accurately determine the cause of the mass death. Another similar incident occurred in 2016 in Norway when a herd of about 300 reindeer was found dead in a remote area of the barren Hardangervida Plateau. At the time, the lightning strike was described as one of the deadliest ever. What do you make of this? Have you ever heard of anything like this happening, Angel? Yes, I have. It was never attributed to lightning. It was either aliens or... Oh, yeah. To, like, herds of cattle. Yeah. So it makes me wonder if maybe all those alien attacks were just lightning strikes. But what what happens to the cows, like, innards? Do they get liquefied or something? Um, possibly. And that's why they're, that's why they're missing? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, I wonder if this has ever happened to people, like, back like in the day. Like a whole group of people? Yeah. Like, just salt... I mean... If the sheep are up there, there could be, likewise, a ton of people up on the mountain standing in a group doing something. Can you imagine that? You're just, you're out there with 550 of your best friends just partying (laughs) and you get struck by lightning. (laughs) What I find interesting is it says the the sheep died, but the sheep herder was also apparently knocked (laughs) unconscious by the lightning, but he's totally fine. I mean, it sounds like it was like an explosion (laughs) occurred on the mountaintop. Like, the lightning hit and the shockwave went out, <laughs> just obliterating everybody. Except for the sheep herder. He's fine now. You know, he just got, like, knocked back a few feet. I think it's uh the 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 government saying, oh, we got we to gotta investigate it scientifically. I think that's bull. <laughs> Prove your case. We don't want to pay shit. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Georgia. Fix this. What's the compensation for 550 sheep? A lot of money. In Georgian money. I don't know. How, like, how about those other stories of like the same people getting struck by lightning over and over again? That was like one of the other things that this story made me think of. Makes me wonder, what is it that about, about people that don't die from a lightning strike, but 500 sheep can die once? Are we just like more lightning resistant than sheeps? Like, how does that work? I, I imagine a, a lightning bolt, as Storm said in the first X-Men movie, to toad, uh, lightning does the same thing it does to a toad whenever it strikes it, and then she hits him with a lightning bolt. I'm gonna have to take your word for that. <laughs> you don't remember Halle Berry in that movie? I don't even remember if I've seen that movie. Oh my god, I'm pretty sure I did, I just don't remember anything of it. Ah, <laughs> uh, probably for the best. <laughs> it was good at first time, but nah. imagine this. You're hiking in the Georgian mountains. You come across over 500 dead sheep in the same area. What the heck do you do in that moment? Is your trip over? Is it ruined? Or are you like, well, I guess I'll just nicely step over these 500 sheep carcasses and continue on my way. Neither. I would be in awe. I would be taking pictures. Look at all these dead sheep. <laughs> and then I'd be looking around and like, does anyone else know about this? Like... <laughs> Do I call somebody? And then I just sit there for like maybe an hour just deliberating like, what do I do here? 
Mm-hmm. It's, I, that's like an end of the world moment for me. If I come across that many dead things, I'm like, uh, is civilization over? <laughs> I, I start something? looking around to see if everyone else is still alive. <laughs> oh, and then they start raising from the dead. <laughs> no, they were just sleeping. <laughs> oh, shit. That'd be even worse. Then you're surrounded by 550 sheep that just woke up and they're out to get you. They're they're hungry and mm-hmm. apparently they eat meat. <laughs> well, there is a movie from New Zealand, I believe. I think it's called Black Sheep, where uh, sheep basically become zombies because the whole tagline is that there's uh, more sheep than people in New Zealand. <laughs> there's this like giant man sheep at the end. It's crazy. A man sheep. <laughs> <laughs> Needs to fight the shark person thing. <laughs> that was the shark person thing. I don't know. There was a movie I saw. I think it was on Sci-Fi, where you know it's like one of those shark movies, but it, they genetically engineered it, and it was like a human person shark thing. <laughs> and he jumps into a tornado. <laughs> you can tell it's been a while since we've done this. <laughs> I hope that one went on for a while. The other story is uh, this one is. It has parallels to something that we have spoken about for three seasons now, coming from oddityscentral.com. Capybaras invade upscale gated community in Argentina. It Uh-oh. reads, Residents of Nordelta, Argentina's most famous and arguably most beautiful gated community, have been battling hordes of capybaras, giant, <laughs> adorable rodents that act like they own the place because technically they do. A 1,500 HA suburban development built on the wetlands of the Parana, Parana, the second most important river in South America after the Amazon. Nordelta is home to some 40,000 people, many of whom paid a premium to own a home in what is a stunning location. Positioned just north of Buenos Aires, among picturesque lakes and streams, Nordelta is one of the most coveted places to own a home. Over the last couple of weeks, Argentina media has been reporting on the capybara invasion of Nordelta. Photos and eyewitnesses report of packs of the world's largest rodent roaming the streets and disturbing traffic, or roaming through people's trash cans, and even attacking their pets uh, have been making headlines in the South American country. They not only destroy gardens, but their excrement has also been a problem, one local man told Argentinian newspaper La Nacion. I heard heartbreaking screams. I looked out the window and saw a capybara with Oreo, a a small schnauzer dog in its mouth. There were two. We believe there were a male and a female, and she was pregnant, so the male defended her, although I don't know from what, because Oreo did nothing threatening. Then I went out, and the capybaras escaped to the lake, Another another woman complained. They live in the lake. Generally, the locals have nothing against capybaras. It's just that the number of herbivores has gotten a bit out of hand as of late, and they are becoming a nuisance. Many claim that if something isn't done now, the hundreds of capybaras already living in Nord Delta will balloon to several thousand <laughs> very soon. However, the so-called invasion of capybaras, or carpinchos as they are called in Argentina, is seen differently from outside Nord Delta. While the, lo- the wealthy locals affected consider themselves victims in need of assistance, to many there are the invaders and the capybaras of the local population reclaiming their land. It's the other way around. Nordelta invaded the ecosystem of the Carpinchos. Argentinian ecologist Enrique Vial 
said, Wealthy real estate developers with government backing have to destroy nature in order to sell clients the dream of living in the wild because the people who buy homes want nature, but without the mosquitoes, snakes, or carpinchos. Because North Delta is seen as a gated community of the rich and powerful, the capybaras trying to reclaim their natural habitat have become a symbol of class struggle in Argentina, with many on social media rooting for the adorable piranistas. Fully grown capybaras can reach up to 1 meter in length, stand over 60 centimeters tall, and weigh up to 60 kilos, 132 pounds. They are social animals that live in packs between 10 and 20 individuals. My first thought, Angel, have the semi-immortal pig people recruited a new ally in the war? Well, I was thinking the opposite. They're having so, so much trouble with these guys. What if they introduce some hogs <laughs> on there and see who uh, comes out on top? Uh-huh. Hogs versus capybara? Uh, I think hog wins. Exactly. <laughs> and then they move into North Delta. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm an, I agree with the ecologists that, you know, <laughs> let them reclaim, reclaim their land. <laughs> so I was going to ask, are you on the side of the town or capybaras? But it sounds like we already answered that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> A huge, huge question. Very important. Would you rather fight 200 chicken-sized capybaras <clears throat> hell-bent on killing you or one woolly mammoth-sized capybara hell-bent on killing you? Yes. <laughs> Just bring them all on? <laughs> God. <laughs> these, these kinds of questions are silly because it doesn't... Like, I can get killed by a colony of ants. So a I'd rather... Pig. So I'd rather just <laughs> deal with one big thing and then hide from it. <laughs> mm, yeah, trying to hide from 200 chicken-sized capybaras? Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to snip you out and, <laughs> and take your dog. With those life-changing stories out of the way, why don't we turn our attention to the first entity of the season, Angel. This episode, we went big. Dare I say, too big. Possibly the most legendary entity we have looked at. While you could be hard-pressed to call this entity a cryptid, and I would say very hard-pressed, there are very valid arguments on if it existed or not. Season 1 saw us trying to tackle everyone's favorite babushka, Baba Yaga, and she did a great job in the overall ranking for that season. Second or third, I think. Season 2 saw Santa Claus literally plow down everyone with a nearly perfect score. No one had a chance. Season 4, we may just have uncovered the composite of the two angel, an entity that could break the rubric of power, the man known as Merlin. When you hear the name Merlin, Angel, what do you think of? I think of all the things. A wizard, a man about town, a great guy. A man about town? <laughs> Just everyone knows his name. Everyone knows his name. <laughs> um, I think of the Disney film sword in the stone and he go, he at some point he travels to the future and, and visits bermuda <laughs> that scene like always confused me i was like why'd he go to bermuda like what <laughs> is that like a vacation destination in medieval times i was very confused like for a long time about that scene i was like did he go to the future and come back i don't know i still question it 
He might be John Titor. Who knows? <laughs> um, I think of um, this cartoon series called the King Arthur and the Knights of Justice, where they're an American oh football team. <laughs> I forgot about that show. <laughs> time or something mm-hmm. and they become the king arthur and, and their knights and yeah. and they all have like their special color don't mm-hmm. they they're sort of like power ranger colors of knights yeah i think so something like that or like special animals i think a guy has like a ram or something like that <laughs> i think of this uh nbc i think it was nbc miniseries starring sam neil as merlin yeah. and isabella rosalini as um oh what's her name nimue and so it was a star-studded cast, really. Uh, I think Martin Short was playing uh, Feck. Oh, yeah. I, I was just going to say Sam Neill. That's oh, all no, his name is Puck. That's, Feck was a different yeah. word. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, I think of the series Merlin that came out in the t- 2000-something mm-hmm. English series, which yep. I binged not too long ago. Really? Yeah, I hadn't seen it before, so I was just watching that. Is it worth the time? I think so, yes. It's a little slow in the beginning, but mm-hmm. you know, once it picks up, it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's it's like uh, if you like Smallville, it's just the same thing, but English. Oh. <laughs> and without Tom Welling, that's a hard pass for me. No Tom Welling, I'm not watching. <laughs> there's there's so many things come to mind. All the King Arthur stuff and mm-hmm. and all that fun wizards. Know, it isn't just amazing though how much like one singular name can just like bring up so many different things that you've encountered yep. in your life. Yep. It's crazy. Not that mm-hmm. I think about it. And the one thing that I think about when you said the NBC Merlin show with Sam Neill, is just him. All I know is him saying, that's the end of magic <laughs> to Sir Rupert, his horse. That's the only thing I remember. <laughs> he's like, yep. I guess he uses the end of magic and he's not a magician anymore. I don't know if he dies. I don't he uses know. the last bit of magic. See, because mm-hmm. magic was... Is it like a finite resource? Uh, it, no, it was like people. the more people believed in it, the more it existed. And then they were moving oh. into this new era where it was more Santa science. Claus effect. Yeah. yeah. Man, I guess I got to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> just, for, just to take it all in. Yeah. So Merlin is often depicted as a lanky bearded man, both endlessly wise, yet somehow a sort of uncivilized wild man. He was an advisor, prophet, wizard, bard, and tutor. Most famously, he is, of course, associated with the legend of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. Now, I know it sounds pretty bonkers talking about Merlin on this type of show, but there are some very valid academic arguments about Merlin. There are those who are vehemently against the idea of Merlin, like Arthur, being real. That it's just all fantasy, a story made up in the guise of history. Others, however, think Merlin was a very specific man who lived, and the stories told were accounts or just simply embellishments of the things that he really did. Things get heated when it comes to the Arthurian legend, as it is probably one of the most well-known legends of Western history. People take Arthur very seriously, Angel. Why do you think that is? Well, I think probably because Arthur is a king, or at least depicted mm-hmm. to be as a king and you know like the, almost like the perfect king yes yes and you know originally the states were the 13 colonies of the of britain so mm-hmm. you want to you know pay your pay your respects right press f so pay respects <laughs> i want to call a duty uh king arthur game now 
And, um, you know, if, when you, you tell somebody, hey, Arthur wasn't real, you, it's just like telling them Jesus isn't real, you know? They're going to get mm-hmm. mad about stuff. Yeah, like people have a very, or some people at least, have a very strong connection to Ar- the Arthurian legend. A, like very romanticized look into the past of like the ideal attributes that humans should possess sort of like the perfect society i suppose i don't know it's just really a a weird thing how deep people get into the arthurian legend the book the true history of merlin the magician by anne lawrence mathers states merlin's most familiar incarnation is that of a mage of great power who can appear and disappear at will read minds and change physical appearances skunk ape anybody (laughs) these powers together with apparently unlimited knowledge of past present and future enable him to guide the destinies of kings to provide magical weapons and to prophesize the future of kingdoms with his powers he ensures the birth of king arthur and then shapes him into an ideal if tragically faded ruler so what do you make of these things merlin is able to supposedly do angel i mean this guy sounds you said it earlier. He's kind of like Santa. I mean, he can do uh-huh. all these things. He's OP. <laughs> yes. OPAF. <laughs> <laughs> so, now, Angel, I see that you dyed your beard white in honor of Merlin for this episode, so I need you to don your homemade Merlin costume. In your opinion, what are the five essential Merlin costume features? You definitely need. The wizard hat, right? That's mm-hmm. classic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then the amulet of natural armor, bracers of armor, a mantle of spell resistance, and... <laughs> oh, wait. That's Elminster. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. D&D joke? <laughs> that's right. Elminster's Merlin. That's my theory. Uh, I think that's a valid theory. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's an obvious one. <laughs> and uh, Bermuda shorts, right? Bermuda shorts, yes. <laughs> so, for the love of Arthur himself, I need you to start prophesizing. Are you ready? I foresee the answer to be yes. With the powers of Merlin, you know the past, present, and future of this podcast. So we will now have the prophecies of three from Angel Ambrosius Mirrodin the great seer of the pod. By the end of the show, we will know if ye be all-powerful or a fraud. The first... The kind of rhymed. The first prophecy of Angel Ambrosius Mirrodin. What will Merlin's combined score be at the end of the episode? I foresee something knocking down his near-perfect score. Perhaps in half sense? Close to... Maybe 19.5? Maybe I shouldn't make accurate, uh, specific <laughs> predictions. I should just keep them vague. It's <laughs> well, prophecy, my man. <laughs> Gotta be as vague as possible. <laughs> then we interpret it how we want it to mm-hmm. read. The second prophecy of Angel Ambrosius Mirrodin. How many times will fan favorite segment <clears throat> Angel's Treaty Talk Corner appear in this episode? Well, if I have any say, it'd be never. <laughs> That's the prophecy? (laughs) Okay. The third prophecy of Angel Ambrosius Mirrodin. What is the one thing Merlin never prophesied? 
I don't think the the one thing Merlin ever prophesized was how extremely popular he would be in the 20th and 21st centuries. Oh, this this was a snowball, <laughs> and it just melted in your face. Cotton Eye Joe's razor, the axiom that states for someone to have come from somewhere, he must therefore go somewhere. So where did Merlin come from? This is to me one of our most in, the, one of the most interesting things to look at on our show, Angel. It is amazing how much the origins of the cryptids we look at parallels that of these legendary figures like Baba Yaga, Santa, and now Merlin. At the end of the last season, we took a look, a very lengthy look at Slenderman. One of the key things we pulled from that was how so many different hands went into the expansion of lore and mystique of that character. Someone adds a little thing here, a little thing there, and suddenly, Slenderman has human flesh wallpaper and signed the Declaration of Independence as S. Lenderman. In this instance, it was a cleric looking to make a fantastical origin story of Britain to appease the higher class to make it look like the place that they are ruling is really worth their time. Then, mix in hundreds of years, French romanticists, more British writers and poets, and in the modern era, Merlin continues to evolve into what people who write about him feel he needs to represent. So in your mind, Angel, what is your idealized Merlin? What does he stand for? My idealized Merlin would stand for freedom and justice. <laughs> He's Superman? <laughs> Damn right he is. <laughs> he just has a giant M on his chest. <laughs> mm-hmm. he just flies around solving crimes. <laughs> Pretty much. Mm-hmm. Now we need a crime-solving Merlin show. Actually, I'm, pr- I'm sure that probably already existed at some point in time. And if it hasn't, talk to us, Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> can crank out a season of that in <laughs> half a day. Most <laughs> academics attribute the origins of Merlin to... Geoffrey of Monmouth during the 1100s in his book, The History of the Kings of Britain. The book, to me, is exactly like so many other claims we have seen on this show, sort of like the Dropa Stones. So in it, translations from, air quotes, unknown or lost, unspecified languages occur. Geoffrey even claimed that the parts about Merlin were the actual words said by Merlin, but gave little background on actually who he was. So, Angel, we have a creator who leaves little hints and tidbits about this figure, mixed in with somewhat agreed-upon histories, and he buries it nearly halfway into the book. The implication of that being, with it being so far into the book, and the previous information being not being outlandish or fantastical, it makes the information about Merlin seem like it was just as true. It just makes it fit all the previous things in the book. What do you think of this? Is it not like what we saw with Slenderman, sort of splicing in somewhat real things with fiction, like those pictures of Slenderman, like in the background of just random pictures and saying, like, uh, the schoolhouse burned down, a bunch of kids died? What I find interesting, I think it's the Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel mm-hmm. Hawthorne. And the, the first chapter, or it's like a prologue or something, it's an unknown narrator talking about how writing that this, the story we're about to read is based. I don't know. It's, it's, it, I, f- I forget the, the intro exactly, but it's essentially somebody else saying, Hey, I'm going to tell you this tale about this thing that, that, that I heard, or I, th- I think they claim that it happened some time ago. Mm-hmm. 
So why is it that we know that that isn't real? For what Jeffrey did in his book? Well, what I'm saying is that that's a, a, a an actual thing that people do where they write a story pretending to be somebody saying, hey, this is a story I presented to you as true, but we know it's not real. So why is it that we assume this guy is trying to pull one over us? And maybe he was just doing this literary, uh, this technique, just being like, hey, look, I know this guy mm-hmm. Merlin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just a way to tell his story. Yeah. It makes the author sound more important like, hey. I know this kick-ass guy doing these kick-ass things. I'm going to write about it. Yeah. Well, it's believed that Jeffrey pulled a lot of his Merlin information from a text written in the 800s by Nennius and added his own flavor to it. So this version of Merlin in the form of the man Ambrosius is a fatherless boy with the ability of prophecy. The king at the time, Vortigern, is attempting to build a castle. And variations in the story state that it's either uh, rather than a castle, it's a tower or a wall. Whatever it is, the structure keeps falling over, or in other versions of the story, materials are disappearing at night. Uh, Vortigern is told by his advisors that the blood of a fatherless boy needs to be sprinkled upon the ground to keep the foundation strong. What do you think of that, Angel? What constitutes a fatherless boy? The Immaculate Conception. So they need to find Jesus <laughs> and slay him, apparently, and put his blood on the foundation. I mean, that's that's what they're initially going to do, mm-hmm. right? Find all the children born on some under some star or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my first thought was like, so, Vortigern, you got to build this damn <laughs> structure. And it keeps falling apart, and, and your advisors say, you need the blood of a fatherless boy. Like, just kill a father and then the boy is fatherless like wouldn't that fit so like kill the father and then kill the boy no yeah exactly because the boy <laughs> is now fatherless or mm-hmm. find like an orphaned boy i also think yeah i also think a fatherless boy would be like a bastard child no Mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> in this instance though as it's applied to merlin he had no true father his pious mother claimed that she had been visited by a demon in the night several times over who had impregnated her several times several times so since the father was a demon this apparently merlin had qualified for being a fatherless boy merlin then basically outplays the advisors and makes them look like fools by asking them what they think is underground they don't know and merlin claims there is a pool beneath where they are building and that is why it keeps sinking into the ground each night. So Vortigern has them dig, and lo and behold, they find a pool, like Merlin said. Egg on the face of those advisors. Merlin then pushes it further. He says, inside the pool are dragons, a white one who would be representing the Saxons, and the other one, a red dragon representing the Britons. The overall meaning is that the Saxons would be defeated, but eventually the Britons would reclaim their lands. And, of course, as they dig, they find the damn dragons. The dragons begin to fight as they're unleashed, and Merlin goes into a fit and starts to prophesize the entire history of future Britain. What do you make of Merlin's little prophecy with Vortigern? First, this was uh, in the Sam Neill Merlin. Damn, was it? Yeah. Um, I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, I think this is. I want to Mer- see Sam. I want to see Sam act that out. <laughs> I mean, it's I, a treasure. I think this is uh, Merlin trying to uh, save his ass. Mm-hmm. 
It's like, oh yeah, yeah, because he's gonna be killed. Yeah, these dragons. Uh, yeah, they're Britain, and and you're 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 one of these dragons, King Voter. Yeah, you're the one that wins. <laughs> I am. I. The only thing I'm wondering is like, they they really found these dragons. What the hell? <laughs> I know, like that's a bit, that's a big deal. Yeah, you know, those dragons under the under your castle. <laughs> They're just like, oh look, look at these two dragons. Uh huh. And and the way it read was like, well, that's no big deal. Yeah, it's like, oh okay, maybe <laughs> I guess maybe they used the word dragon just to be like lizards or something. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at these stupid or like, lizards. Or it's like Nordelta with all these capybaras. It was an everyday occurrence. <laughs> so many just dragons. It's so like, many oh, dragons. They're trying to reclaim the land. Uh-huh. Get get them out of here. Scoot. <laughs> Scat. Jeffrey also shows the power and intelligence of Merlin as he claims Merlin, uh, in a later story, he moves stones originally placed in Ireland by giants to the Salisbury Plain. Thus, Merlin aided Angel in moving Stonehenge to its current location. What do you make of that? Merlin is responsible for Stonehenge as we know it. How do you think Merlin could have done that? Well... We just know that he moved them. We don't know mm-hmm. how. So mm-hmm. my first thought was like they're floating in the sky, but I'm like, that's silly. Mm-hmm. We don't mm-hmm. know how he moved them. He could have just tied some strings together, a yep. rope or whatever. He's supposedly super intelligent, so it could have been engineered in a cert- mm-hmm. sort of manner. And it's specifically vague in the book written by Jeffrey to uh, sort of let the reader imply that magic was <laughs> yeah. used but it's never expressly stated and the other thing that merlin aids in is enabling uther pendragon to enter Tintagel castle in the guise of his enemy so by using a potion made by merlin pendragon looks like the like the head of the household just waltzes on in and makes love to the guy's wife agurna she then later gives birth to arthur so then at that point, Merlin's story uh, sort of ends in this book by Joffrey and uh, later continued in other books by him. So a little scamp, that Merlin, right? <laughs> Most definitely. With Jeffrey's Merlin being so t- so tied to seers and prophecies, it got me thinking, Angel. If you were in Jeffrey's sandals and had to translate an unknown language for your book, what prophecies would you have put? So for instance, some that Jeffrey translated included... The hedgehog will hide its apples inside Winchester and will construct hidden passages under the earth. And a man shall wrestle a drunken lion, and the gleam of gold will blind the eyes of onlookers. <laughs> Goodness. Um, Those are some it, damn good prophecies. The hedgehog. <laughs> it, is, it is my understanding that the people back in the day had a much more purple prose than we do now and there was a lot of symbolism involved whether those that symbolism was legit or not is another question however uh let's say my prophecy would be something like the feathers of the bird shall fall on the twain just like that and eventually in america someone meets mark twain Mm -hmm. and reads his book is like oh my god Merlin was talking about Mark Twain. <laughs> yep. And then he wrote about Merlin in uh, Yankee and uh, King Arthur's Court, or whatever the book's called. Yep. <laughs> that prophecy has been fulfilled. 
I want to know more about this hedgehog and his apples. <laughs> that one, that one seems very, very specific, actually. Uh-huh. It says, uh huh. Under inside Winchester. And it's not just a hedgehog; it's the hedgehog. The, the hedgehog, capital H. Mm-hmm. Hedgehog is a some sort of human being to be known as the hedgehog. That's a <laughs> damn good name. Yeah, it's like uh, I think it puts a lot of the mafia names to shame. Uh huh. Or like the guy in Tony um, the Hedgehog. Get over here. <laughs> Or in the Roanoke episode, the guy that was the, the pig, I think. The pig. <laughs> I mean, the hedgehog puts the pig to shame. Yep. Or the swine, whatever it's called. <laughs> so while it is rather clear Jeffrey made up most of the things about Merlin, such as moving Stonehenge and things like that, author Adam Ardre in the book Finding Merlin is more of the opinion that Merlin was indeed a real person. And specifically, due to outside sources like the Christian church over time, things about Merlin were changed or hidden. Words like bard, in relation to describing Merlin, was actually a code word for druid. So one of the things that the Christian church wanted to sort of eradicate from the history of the area to now to coincide more in line with the church. One thing that was specifically an issue with the church was Merlin's twin sister, Langorath, who is claimed to have been a rather powerful woman of her time, something the church wouldn't necessarily want to advertise too much. So Langorath was married to Roderick Hale, a king in the late 6th and early 7th century in what is now modern-day Scotland. Merlin, or name that he went by at the time, Lelokin, was an advisor to the king. Both Lelokin and his sister were said to be stuck in the old ways and were a threat to the new power structures of the church. Lelokin supposedly had prophetic powers and had gone mad after the Battle of uh, Arfurid around the year 573, becoming then this hairy, wild man of the woods. It is argued that Lelokin was the sole basis for what Merlin became. So, Angel, are you Team Merlin being a real man? real boy like Pinocchio or team Jeffrey just plucked things he liked from history and folklore I'm team I've always been team that there's always a little bit of both you know there's always like you don't just come up make stuff up you always come up with even if it's just a base like I know a guy and I'm just gonna write about him and then add some fluff Mm -hmm. and you pull that from other things that you know yeah to make him as goddamn interesting as merlin <laughs> yep. so knowing a bit of where he possibly came from where did merlin go well merlin became hella popular <laughs> the arthurian legend blew up poets loved it authors loved it historians loved it sir thomas mallory's le mort arthur changed the game in relation to the legend and its publication in 1485 and typical endings in Merlin's life are attributed to him just being a horn dog. The man apparently loved to lust over his apprentices. <laughs> Whether it's Arthur's half-sister, Morgan Le Fay, or Vivian, uh, Merlin had a thing for his students. Even, apparently, the Lady of the Lake was on Merlin's radar <laughs> to make love to. In the end, Merlin is betrayed by his pupil and trapped in a cave sad ending however he supposedly is still there the cave just lost to time is that a good way for merlin to go angel just like sort of anticlimactic he 
just loves this woman, doesn't love him back, and he gets trapped in a cave. I mean, in in the Me Too era, I, I think it's a fitting punishment. <laughs> just be stuck there in prison forever. I don't know if he did anything <laughs> untold to these women. He just uh, lusted, he just lusted them. after them. <laughs> I just mean, going major creep. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it, uh, the the whole tutor pupil thing. No, that's not cool. No, no. Merlin, you know better. Merlin, come on, Merlin. <laughs> I think uh, uh, what I find interesting is uh, I don't think that's ever been something that I've seen depicted in in mainstream media. That part of Merlin, the Merlin, yeah, being the uh, horny bastard, yeah, sort of like Benjamin Franklin, mm-hmm. like notorious uh, sex freak, but yeah. not really talked too much in the histories of Benjamin Franklin. I think, I think school, specifically history class, would be so much more interesting if we talked about those things. Uh-huh. Well, it, the one thing it does do is it makes them more human. It, like it doesn't mm-hmm. make them these idealized propaganda like characters of the perfect individual being like perfect for the moment they were just human beings living their lives trying to do the best they could some of them like benjamin franklin loved orgies and dark caves and shit like that so (laughs) i imagine benjamin franklin in the eyes wide shut type thing (laughs) uh is that the movie like with kevin spacey and the pedals no, no, that's American Beauty. No. I think um, that's the one I'm talking about is Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise, mm-hmm. Stanley Kubrick yep. film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good thing it's not Kevin Spacey, but Merlin getting those Kevin Spacey. Vibes yeah, t- now. talking about me too. <laughs> well, and the thing, even going back to Merlin organizing the entire thing of, of King Arthur being born, he disguises the guy's father as another mm-hmm. woman's husband so he can go in and impregnate her yeah, yeah. um and then and then later the guy dies and he just marries her <laughs> yeah that's problematic to say the least <laughs> like, what what are you using your magic for here merlin <laughs> like sam neil's character should have said no i'm that's the end of magic at the very beginning of, of his story <laughs> so, anything to to make britain a, a thing i guess Mm-hmm. Yep, it's like the the ends justify the means scenario mm-hmm. for Merlin. As far as the idea of Merlin, that will never die. He is a figure that is constantly changing in relation to what people want him to be. So, in early Nazi Germany, for instance, Merlin and the Arthurian legend and romanticism was extremely popular to them. Merlin became the manifestation of ancient wisdom and the old world order to them. And in the stories of how he brings Arthur into power, he is in essence also representing a new world order coming into existence, some scholars think. Emphasize is put on the power of a sorcerer and the roles that he played. And indeed, Himmler saw himself as a Merlin-type entity in the advising of Hitler. So did you ever think you would hear about the Nazis' love for Merlin in this episode, Angel? Um... I'd be lying if I said yes because I did my research, but no, I never came across mm-hmm. this. <laughs> this is absurd to me. Mm-hmm. Merlin, you're a horn dog, and now the Nazis love you. What the hell? <laughs> they ruined a lot of things, but they can't ruin Merlin. Damn it! <laughs> the love of Merlin persists. 
authors like J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis also claim portions of Merlin for their own characters, famously for Gandalf, a very Merlin-esque uh, figure, uh, advising the roles of, like, say, the hobbits in both their journeys in uh, the hobbits and Lord of the Rings. And then he goes full OP god mode uh, <laughs> of Merlin and <laughs> gives that to uh, Gandalf as well. So there's that. As we move closer to our time in the New Age movement, Merlin has been represented heavily. As a druidic master, he represents being one with nature and energy. And then, Angel, there is artist George Vernon, who also, first, he claims he is just under Banksy in (laughs) art relevancy, but also believes that he is Merlin reincarnated. And I saw an interview that he says he is 99% Merlin and only 1% George. When he paints, it is Merlin painting. And in another shocking turn of events, Merlin, which he goes by, claims he was also sexually assaulted in Jeffrey Epstein's house by Ghislaine Maxwell. Did not see that coming. Another thing I did not see coming, he was also jailed for a year for racially abusing and threatening his Muslim neighbor. So was the racist part Merlin or the 1% man angel? Um, I would have attributed it to the man, but knowing that Merlin is now the love of Nazis, <laughs> and I'm going to say it's all Merlin. <laughs> yeah, at this point, Merlin uh, and the man. <laughs> they have equal responsibility in this yeah. matter. <laughs> yeah, no, no, this guy is not Merlin. <laughs> I mean, oh, if, he, if he knew this, all this stuff was going to happen and he's Merlin, he, he could have just whisked himself away. Come on. <laughs> yeah, he could have prophesied it and said, you know what? <laughs> I'm changing my course of action to not let that prophecy come true. Instead, he went full born and did it. I think no matter how far we get from the possible origins of Merlin, he will forever be a part of current culture. Is there anything else that you wanted to add about Merlin here, Angel? Yes. Yes, there is. It's just a small little bitty thing. Um, It was the mention of Merlin, his, uh, or Lelokin. There's a story of him after a battle in, after some battle. Is that the Battle of Arfurid? Yes, the Battle of Arfurid. He apparently runs away into the Caledonian forest. Mm Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm out. Yep. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't handle it anymore. Went mad. This is just a completely aside. Like it's not related to Merlin at all. But the Caledonian Forest got its name by none other than Pliny the Elder. <laughs> <laughs> just had to say it. <laughs> no, well, I'm glad that guy died. <laughs> from a volcano (laughs) or how much he's had his hands in everything we've done on this show (laughs) it's unnatural is what it is yeah possibly one other thing i wanted to add is sort of just this idea that the name merlin or even arthur i'm sort of interested in your thoughts on this angel they weren't a specific person, but those names were actually titles an individual could have. So the idea being that there'd be multiple Merlins and Arthurs throughout history, and just what we know of them now is just a 
amalgamation of all of their deeds. Is that reasonable, or, I mean, I have no evidence to support that. Yeah, actually, I, I saw that in, in the wiki page. By the way, the wiki page is very detailed. <laughs> um, I mean, it's like it's like reading uh, a Tolkien history of a yeah. figure. There's so much going on. Yeah. It's uh, mind-numbing. Yeah, so the the Merlin apparently means blackbird from the French Merle. So it could be referencing a title of the black here comes the blackbird. I think mm-hmm. that's cool. I want to be known as the blackbird. <laughs> you can be the blackbird. So, I'll be the hedgehog. So so maybe there's like uh um I don't know if you've seen the Princess Bride. Mm-hmm. But yep. yeah, maybe there's a like a dread Pirate Roberts situation there where he just mm-hmm. passes it on to, to whoever he wants. Maybe an apprentice that he lusted after. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or or even a Tim Allen-esque Tim Claus. <laughs> you, you kill Merlin, you become Merlin. It's the Merlin Claus. <laughs> that, yeah, that's I like that one better. We're going with that. You get a big beard. Uh, a hat you can't pull off your head. You start lusting after women. <laughs> the cl- it's the same as the Santa Claus, except the wording just crossed out Santa and it says Merlin. It says Merlin. <laughs> it's all the same props from the, same, from the movie. Oh, so many good movies that could be made off of that uh, premise. Just the gift that keeps on giving. So, with that being said. Why don't we, Angel, go into the first rubric of power for the season, the rubric of power for Merlin. So how did you rate his powers? I mean, I can't. There's not much a to one. say here. <laughs> yeah, it's just, just absolute garbage. I mean, just the summary. He's got, he can see the future. He's got extreme wisdom and cunning. He has the secrets of the universe. He holds the key. <laughs> to the elements he's a shapeshifter he can speak all languages he understands spirits of the land and water and time means absolutely nothing to this man if you can call him a man so is uh, i would take that as that he's immortal right does he have the mantle of immortality from santa I, i think so i mean i that's what i uh extrapolated from that if time has no meaning and he does travel through time in, in the Sword of the Stone. So. Goes to Bermuda to have a vacation. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's a four already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, four all the way. So depending on the origins that you read, he is part devil, which is where his powers could be derived from. He's also tied closely to ritual magic, and I think was one of the reasons that Merlin has been such a figure that a lot of people have gravitated towards uh just the whole idea of ritual magic being something that people believe in and can like physically try to attempt to get to some sort of like closer feeling to the world and their environment <clears throat> things like that mm-hmm. uh, another thing i don't think you mentioned he can teleport uh goes full i'm gonna be over here in this part of the world like yeah. how do you can't kill that he just teleports out of the way uh, controls the climate. You can summon darkness. God. Like there's, there's just so much. And he's a horn dog. So <laughs> mine is the horn dog. He's still a four. Yeah. How about the detectability of Merlin? Okay. 
I struggled with this because I wasn't sure on whether to treat this as a true cryptid because nobody talks about sighting him. Uh, I spotted a Merlin. We <laughs> <laughs> saw him in the woods. He was back there. A madman. I, I, I made a wood carving of it. <laughs> um, it took me 17 hours. But at the same time, if he's immortal, how would we know? Oh, he's stuck in his cave. Well, is he, though? Is he? Couldn't, couldn't he teleport out? <laughs> exactly. Couldn't he teleport? I mean, you mean to tell me with all the powers we listed, he can't escape a cave? Like, do we have to go back and take off a point? <laughs> I, I would imagine there has to be some sort of magic nullifying field inside the cave that <laughs> prevents him from being in the cave. Or his apprentice did something to him to uh, disarm him. I think he was also charmed by her. Is is his immortality magic? Does that mean if no magic works, then he could just age and die? The immortality is inherent to him. It's not something that he learned. It would be the would have to be the implication there because because he has a father. Yeah, he's part devil, and apparently devil means immortal. Well, in this case, so it's the Highlander. I'm <laughs> the last of. In this case, you have swayed my my score. Because now I'm going to knock down a point because, well, I'll tell you the point and then I'll tell you my reasoning. I, get, I had it at a three. Now it's at a two. Mm-hmm. And it's a two now because that impl- that we just what we just discussed means that there's a cave somewhere that I can go visit and there's Merlin. So I can mm-hmm. s- catch his ass. <laughs> That's the only reason he's got a two now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I went even lower. I went with a one here for Ooh. Merlin. Ooh. Because uh, while his powers can be used to hide, everyone knew where he was. He was aiding King Arthur. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the in the world of if you know where King Arthur is in Camelot, Merlin's going to be there. If you want to kill Merlin, go to Camelot. It's going to be a hard mission, <laughs> but doable. In his origin story... They knew that he was like the fatherless kid, mm-hmm. so they already knew who he was before he was even special. <laughs> so I mean, yeah. he had a, a tough going from the very beginning. He was always detected. Now um, so, I'm not gonna try to sway you or anything, but I'd like to uh, add a little extra in the Merlin TV series. They don't know Merlin is special. He, he's uh, brought onto the to be Arthur's servant and only a few people know of Merlin's magic and they're all trying to keep it all secret from Arthur and the and and originally So it is like Smallville. Yeah, and Uther Pendragon <laughs> is there first. So you deal with him and then later Arthur. But yeah, so mm-hmm. nobody knows about Merlin's abilities. So it's kind of like adds to the whole detectability thing. <laughs> does it does it weigh in their uh consciousness that they know and no one else knows? Like is that is that a part of the plot of like, oh, I almost slipped, or they like they get targeted by the, the random bad guy? Of the no, week it actually it Merlin actually is? weighs on Merlin's consciousness because he wants to so badly tell Arthur, because magic is banned in their kingdom, and he's using magic to save people, and he's like, if I could just let them know, I could save them by doing such and such, you know, but he can't. So that's that's Clark Kent and Lana Lang right there, Angel. <laughs> Yep. I don't know what we're talking about anymore. <laughs> Lauren Mystique. 
How about the lore and mystique of Merlin? I mean, y'all heard it. We were just discussing <laughs> the TV show. I mean, come on. There's endless. I'm sure there are plenty of books that I could look up that have. Mm-hmm. In fact, when I was doing my research, I said, let me look up books about Merlin. So I just type Merlin. And all I get are... <laughs> Things with romance novels and covers. It's like the gunsmith in the Piaz episode. Yeah. I'm sure he's like trying to have sex with all these women. But now that I know monsters. that that was one of his personality traits, maybe that could have served as some research. Maybe that impacted the guy that wrote the gunsmith novels too. Oh it's God. like Merlin did this. Gunsmith's gonna damn it. Yeah. So I'm like, there's there's just a plethora of information out there and so much that Merlin can do that's a four for me hundreds of years and nearly countless stories as the orchestrator of Arthur's Rise he is a literary powerhouse another interesting thing about Jeffrey Monmouth though is that some of his contemporaries were like what the hell are you doing here Jeffrey (laughs) they they knew what he was writing was not true supposedly he also called himself Jeffrey Arthur as he was in love with the idea of Arthur and tied and tried to tie himself to that family. Wait, wait a uh, minute. And it's lore. Was this man writing fan fiction? <laughs> I think he was. <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog in it. And he's in self-inserting? <laughs> mm-hmm. He is tied to the line of Arthur, apparently. And his contemporaries like, man, <laughs> gotta but, check yourself. But who's laughing yourself, now? Yeah, <laughs> Jeffrey in his grave, Merlin in his tomb. <laughs> Prophecy-wise, the Tudor family did the same thing and tied their family to some of the prophecies that Jeffrey wrote to try to give the lineage, uh, to give their lineage some extra legitimacy. So it's funny how prophecies can be used by others to give themselves exactly what they want on a sort of grander political scale like that. Oh, I guess the question is, is how important do you have to be to write a prophecy that somebody will then try to use that legitimately? I know, right? And in I its wanna, time, I kind of like, want to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those prophecies were very like, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. The hedgehog's putting his apples <laughs> under Winchester. <laughs> People believed it. So I went with a four, of course, for the lore and mystique. So how about cunning? Cunning and intelligence of Merlin. Do we have, even have to do it? No, we don't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was already discussed. Man's mm-hmm. brilliant. Four. Um, he, he shaped the political landscape of an entire country by disguising a man to look like another's man uh, to then have sex with that man's wife and impregnate her and then later marry her. Like, who does that? Merlin. Merlin. Like, that is some... Like, long con stuff going on, I think, in the mind of Merlin. He was planning things... From the very beginning. But it also uh, kind of... Things that a mere mortals could not comprehend. It also kind of gives me insight to the whole... I don't know if I'm going to offend some people here, but... You know, this... What would you call it? Like... The the idea that Merlin would deceive to, to do this. I feel like kind of like the British people kind of follow that route. <laughs> being maybe deceptive and or manipulative to get what they want well i mean they 
tried to conquer half the world and then well, yeah, I, subjugate his peoples. That's, yeah, I didn't want to go that far, but yeah, that's, that's what I was implying. <laughs> no, they have deceived no one in <laughs> They are perfect like Merlin. Uh, so, cunning and intelligence, four out of four. And finally, the impact on popular culture for Merlin. I mean, I feel like everyone would have guessed what were my score, at least my score is going to be. Because I've already discussed all the things that mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about here. I've already mentioned all the media that I've seen this Merlin character in. Not to mention books that have his name uh, for. And, oh, video games. Of course there's got to be video games with Merlin. Come on. Mm-hmm. Or Merlin-like, uh, Merlin types. Go into any like sort of uh, new age uh, like store. There's going to be some sort of pewter Merlin <laughs> That you can buy, mm-hmm. guarantee it, because there's gonna be a pewter Merlin for 19.99 that you can I, buy in various I'm sizes. Pretty sure my sister has something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them he's gonna have a crystal ball. Some of them he's gonna be standing next to a tree. Some of them he's going to be lusting over <laughs> an unnamed woman. <laughs> so my impact that I just looked at a single thing for Merlin didn't have to do anything else. So one of the main things that I look at every single time is the impact that the, the, the creature has had on the alcohol industry and how many beers are named after the creature. So one the main thing I look for is on the untapped website or app. I just type in the creature. So this time I typed in Merlin. How many beers do you think came back, Angel? I'm going to say 1,891. You're close. <laughs> 1,220 oh, beers. Geez just having the name Merlin in it. not So that doesn't include any ones that have references to Merlin mm-hmm. or are somehow associated with Merlin. That's just ones that have the name Merlin in it. Jeez. I mean, that was by far the biggest return of any entity that we've looked at so far. Insane return. That uh, pretty, four. That's four for impact. Although I can say I don't believe I've ever seen one in person. <laughs> <laughs> So, what did you add up to for your score for Merlin? This Merlin character has got an 18 from me. And I was at a I was at a 17. So, the rubric of power returns Merlin at a 17 and a half score. Oh my god, I should have kept my prediction <laughs> at the half. Uh-huh. <laughs> So let's see how you did here. How did Angel the Seer do? As far as the overall score, you prophesied incorrectly. You were correct about Angel's Treaty Talk Corner. Did not show in this episode. And then you were wrong about what pro- <laughs> what prophecy Merlin did not have in the form of Cotton Eye Joe's Razor, which I'm still completely disgusted by. I did not get that right. Um, so a one out of three fraud or true seer? You can decide. Uh, well, if only James Randy were still around, but he's we not. We could have gotten that. We could have gotten that million dollars or whatever much <laughs> we proved her a prophet <laughs> or a seer at least. I guess there's nobody else to to say. Oh well. Yeah. <laughs> Merlin has always been in the back of my mind. I realized when I started to do research. <laughs> I'm not gonna say like Merlin's constantly in the back. No, of your no, mind. like you're always thinking about Merlin, <laughs> and you just realized it now. No, I, I mean, I mean, like his the like, I don't know. There is 
this thing about Merlin and his powers that I, I find that I've always enjoyed and mimicked in, in the things that I do, like casting spells and whatnot. What can I say, Merlin? I owe you one. <laughs> you cast spells? <laughs> That's, you know, whatever. Um, anyway. Hicketus Ficketus. Alakazam. <laughs> Welcome to I can't even rhyme that. I don't I don't know. Um <laughs> you say Hicketus Ficketus? <laughs> you don't do spells. Not with that. <laughs> That's classic, alright? That is that is straight up from the sword in the stone. I want I want some Macbeth. <laughs> Give me some Macbeth spells. Bubble, bubble, toil and trouble. <laughs> hey, curiosities. It's that time again when I tell you, that's right, you, to follow us on Twitter at Cracking Curios. And you can tweet at us. Make sure to use the hashtag Cracked Cryptids. Also, let us know which celebrity you think we should recommend you tweet at. You can also follow us on Instagram at Cracking Cryptids. And, you know, you can also hashtag stuff in there when you comment. Whatever. Like our pictures um, when we post more pictures. You can also send us an email at crackingcryptidsandcurios at gmail.com. And we have a plethora of platforms for you to choose from to listen to our podcast. Just pick the one you like. I don't even have to name them because the one you're thinking of, yeah, we're on that one. And as always, toodles. This has been an I am actually traveling back into time production. Merlin has always been in the back of my mind, I realize.